Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, things going on in your life, or if you have a prayer request and would like to be prayed for, uh, along with lots of people listening over the air who can join in and say amen. We'd love to hear from you. You can call us or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the number to text is 720-336-0897. I want to say welcome to all of those of you listening today. Uh, first of all, I want to say hi to everybody listening on Grace FM in Colorado and Southern Wyoming. We also want to say hello to everyone listening on our syndicated station. So we're syndicated now in two uh, regions other than where we're located here in Colorado. So we're syndicated on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we are now also syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So welcome to all of you who are tuning in from different parts of the country and from right here in Colorado where we're based and uh, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you tuned in today. And we want to remind you that those of you listening on the East Coast and in the Tennessee area, you are hearing this program on a one-week delay. So we would love to hear from you. And then you get the special opportunity to tune in again the following week and hear yourself on the radio and hear how funny your voice actually sounds on the radio. So uh, that's always fun. We want to give a big hello also to everybody who listens online. Uh, either on the mobile app. There's a great Grace FM mobile app. If you don't have it, you should go to your mobile app store, whichever one you use, and download the Grace FM app, and you can tune in wherever you are over the Internet, and it's a great way to keep up with Grace FM and listen to the programs. And you can also go on our website, gracefm.com, and you can listen online in your web browser. So however you're tuned in today and wherever you're from, we want to welcome you to the program. We're glad that you called. Again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. The beginning of the show is always one of the best times to tune in because that's when we have uh, open lines to begin with. So if you want to get on the air today, this is a good time to call in. Also, the number to text is 720 Three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. So just a few things about myself. I am your host every Monday here on Calvary Live, and uh, for the past few weeks I haven't been here. I was away on a little trip. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But a few few more things about myself. I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus and loves studying the Bible. And we study, we love to study the Bible uh, through books of the Bible, verse by verse. We're affiliated with Calvary Chapel. And so uh, we meet at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is in downtown Longmont at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. 
um, right at the corner of Kaufman and Long's Peak. So we're right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And we would love to have you come and visit us if you're in the Longmont area. If you're in Longmont itself or in any of the surrounding communities near Longmont, we'd love to have you come and visit us on a Sunday and worship with us. You can find all the information about where we're at on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And also on there, you can um, you can listen to old teachings, you know, past messages, and you can get all kinds of information about our church. It's just a great resource. Uh, we'd love to have you come. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the St. Vrain Memorial Building right there in downtown Longmont. So you can also hear me every weekday on Life in the Field, which is our daily radio program. So that airs on Grace FM at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time every weekday and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So that's Life in the Field. And those are our sermons, which are cut for the radio. Um, and so feel free to tune in during those times and, and hear those teachings on Grace FM. So I mentioned just a few minutes ago, as we're waiting for the uh, callers to call in and for the calls to roll in, the lines to fill up. I'll just tell you a little bit about this trip. So I was uh, I was not hosting the show for the last two weeks because I was on a trip. So uh, I was on a trip to Hungary and Ukraine, and then I went on another trip to California all within two weeks. So it was a very busy two weeks for me, but a lot of ministry, and God worked in great ways, um, and I got to see some other things that other people are doing, great ways that he's working through their ministry as well. So some of you may know this already, but uh, for those of you who don't, I was a missionary in Hungary for 10 years before I moved to Colorado. I grew up in Colorado, became a Christian in Colorado, and then when I was 18 years old, I moved to Hungary as a missionary with the plan to stay there for eight months, and eight months turned into 10 years. Met my wife over there, and we have uh, we had three kids uh, while we were still there. Now we have four. And uh, we planted two churches with Calvary Chapel over in Hungary. We were in northeast Hungary in the town of Eger. Uh, for those of you who might be familiar with that, I know Hungary is not a place that a lot of people around here are familiar with, but just in case you might be. But one of the things that's great about Whitefields here in Longmont is that they provide us the opportunity to go back every year and continue ministering to uh, the churches that we planted and the, the leaders that we left behind and raised up. And so I got to go and visit them and spend a few days um, just kind of seeing how they're doing, checking in on them and, and spending some time with uh, the pastor over there that we left in place. And then uh, the main purpose of my trip was I went to Ukraine and I was uh, preaching at a pastor's conference in Ukraine along with our worship leader here from Whitefields, Mike Payne. Uh, the two of us did a conference in Ukraine for Ukrainian pastors and leaders with Calvary Chapel. And so we were in Kiev, Ukraine. We had about 50 uh, Ukrainian pastors and leaders from Calvary Chapel gathered together and we, we taught them. And it was a lot about practical leadership, practical pastoral leadership and about how to lead churches. And it was just a really, really fruitful time over there. And a friend of mine, he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Kiev. His father actually is the guy who pioneered Calvary Chapel in that former Soviet Republic over there in Ukraine. And, you know, they have a great ministry. Out of their church has been born 20 other churches that have gone o all over uh, different parts of Ukraine. And they have a vision now, which I think is, is a cool vision. It's a crazy vision, which is awesome. You know, it's, it's one of those things where they say, you know, if your vision doesn't make you a little bit scared or doesn't make you say the only way that this could ever happen is if God is in it, well, then your vision's not big enough. Well, that's definitely what they have. They have a vision to plant 30 churches in 
the city of Kiev in five years. So that's a five million person city, and they want to plant 30 churches in five years. So very, very ambitious and very big step of faith. And so I would just encourage you, pray for God's work over in Ukraine through Calvary Chapel. They are doing amazing things over there, and God is doing amazing things through their churches. Pastor there, George, he told me last year when I was visiting them for the same conference, he told me really the only hindrance to planting more churches over there is just not having enough people. And so that's what Jesus told us to pray for. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the harvest field. So I would encourage you to pray for that, um, both in Ukraine and, and here in our local area and all over the world. Um, we just want to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest field, that he would raise up people to be pastors and leaders and missionaries. And uh, let's go ahead. I'll give you those numbers again to call in or to text. We're still waiting for lines to fill up. We've got a few texts come in, but I'd love to have some callers. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line real quick and see what kind of texts we've, we've had come in. So we have one, one question, it's a pretty serious question, uh, that was texted in just now, and it says this. Hi, Pastor, is finding out about your spouse's pornography addiction that has been hidden and lied about for years, is that biblical grounds for divorce? Is it in the same category as infidelity, according to God? And if not, how can you tell if you've truly forgiven that person? Thank you. Well, that's a very heavy thing for sure. I, I think that some people, you know, I think that depending on who you ask, you would probably get uh, more than one answer. So I think there would be some people who would say, yeah, that is grounds for divorce. I'm going to land on the side of saying that I don't think that that's biblical grounds for divorce. I don't think that that is the same as having uh, an affair with another person. Uh, I think that it is certainly not a victimless crime, though. I will say that. Um, a lot of people have said that, you know, pornography is a victimless crime because the person who views pornography is really only hurting themselves. But I think that that is a misnomer which has been proven false over the last several years, uh, you know, especially as more and more has come out about human trafficking. And uh, I work with an organization, our church here, Whitefields in Longmont, we work with an organization based out of Budapest, Hungary, which I came to know about when I, during my time over in Hungary. And they're called the Anonymous Ways Foundation. And what they do is they help women who are caught in human trafficking to escape human trafficking. It's actually an international organization based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And they put out a lot of statistics and materials about the sex industry. And it's, it's very, very um, terrible when you read about that. And just one thing that they put out recently was talking about how some of these people who are, you know, in the industry, the pornography industry, there's been a ton of suicide uh, recently of, I guess, high-profile people, is what this article was saying. And they were saying that the reason was that these people feel this extreme sense of defilement they feel a extreme sense of shame and they don't know what to do they they feel this sense of hopelessness that they're lost and that um that there's no one that they can turn to for help and there have been a lot of christian ministries who have reached out to people in the pornography industry and in the um, prostitution industry reaching out to them and that's good so i would just say it's not a victimless crime 
it, there absolutely are victims on both sides. As you say, it sounds like you even are a victim of this, of your husband or your, your wife's, I'm not sure, your spouse's pornography addiction. And so it's certainly not a victimless crime. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a sin and it's a terrible thing. Um, but I will say this, I do think that there's a distinction between that and having a physical affair. Um, so I would encourage you, and it sounds like you are seeking to uh, forgive your spouse and wanting to do that. I would encourage you in that. Just yesterday I was teaching from Hebrews chapter 12, and this is what it says in Hebrews 12:15. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, uh, which can defile many. There's two things he says there, which they're both very interesting. One is that um, he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And secondly, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. So bitterness, I believe, is related to unforgiveness a lot of times. It's when you don't forgive someone and this kind of bitterness grows in your heart. And and so I, he describes it as a root. And it's almost that he's picturing a weed. And I was thinking about weeds. You know, it's like if you just pluck off the top of them, they continue to grow. That's why when you pull out weeds in your yard you have to get them out by the roots and that's also a very difficult thing to do but if you don't do it eventually the weeds are going to spread and so that but that's the picture it gives us of what bitterness is like in our hearts it's like a weed which goes in and you think about what weeds do if you have a garden or if you're a farmer you know weeds go in they they take root and then they begin stealing the nutrients and sucking up the nutrients from the the good plants that you want to grow and they cause those good plants to become weaker as the weed gets stronger. So they're just robbing nutrients. And I think that's a picture of what bitterness does in our lives. It takes root and it robs us of those good uh, nutrients that we need. That are, robs our time, it robs our energy, it, it robs our spirituality. And so we are to root these things out, to take them out by the roots. And so I would just en encourage you in that because one of the examples I used yesterday is that what bitterness, holding on to bitterness, holding on to unforgiveness is kind of like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. If you do allow bitterness to take root in your heart, it will only hurt you. But it's, of course, it sounds to me like you, you absolutely do want to forgive your spouse. And how can you know if you've truly forgiven them? Well, I, I don't know if it's a feeling that you'll have. I think it's a decision that you make. I've heard it said that uh, forgiveness is uh, when it's say you were, you were holding something against someone, like you were holding something to throw it at someone, and it's essentially putting it down. It's saying that someone has to suffer the pain of something that has happened. And when you forgive someone, you're essentially saying, rather than forcing you to suffer more, I am going to suffer the pain that it causes me to let this go. Now, when you forgive somebody, you're not saying that what they did was okay. I think that's really important. When God in Christ forgives us, he's not saying by any means that what we did was okay. But what he is saying is that he forgives us. He pays that price. He takes it upon himself and he suffers for it so that he can forgive us. So that would be, I hope, some words of encouragement for you. I don't believe it's biblical grounds for divorce. And I think that uh, you... you have the right attitude in wanting to forgive your spouse. I would encourage you that maybe there's some kind of program at your church or maybe some way that you can bring this into light, maybe some kind of accountability that your spouse can get into to help with this. But ultimately, the root issue needs to be dealt with. And that root issue is one of sin. There needs to be repentance that takes place where this person realizes they haven't just sinned against you, but they've also sinned against God.
So uh, I would like to pray for you too before we go on to some of our callers who have called in in the meantime. Heavenly Father, I pray for this person who's texted in and just that I pray, Lord, in this pain of realizing this uh, pornography addiction of their spouse, Lord, the insecurity that comes with that and, and knowing that the spouse has been going somewhere else for something which is sacred and meant to be kept inside of marriage. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to this texture. I pray that you would bring comfort, that you would be near to them. And Lord, that you would uh, give the strength to this person to be able to forgive and, uh, and to be able to forgive in the future as well. Um, not just one time forgiving but saying okay i'm going to i'm going to continually choose to let this go and to to say yes i forgive you lord i pray that you give this person that strength just as you have forgiven them in christ lord may they also forgive you or may they also forgive the person who has sinned against them and heavenly father i pray for this person who has this pornography addiction i pray that truly you would set them free in jesus name and i pray that in your son's precious name amen amen let's go over to our call in line we've got jeff and aurora Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. What's going on? Hello. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, thank you for the program. Um, just having a prayer request. I filed my case with immigration. It normally takes four months, but um, it's going beyond four months. That's because it's coming to nine months. So I'm at least prayer to come in agreement with you to see that maybe we can get a faster processing uh, due to the backlog that they are having. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let me pray for you. I, uh, I know that that's a big thing. We went through a immigration case ourselves with our adopted son and uh, have a staff member here at the church going through an immigration case. So I know how, how hard these can be, especially for families. So I'd love to pray for you. So let's pray for you, Jeff. Heavenly Father, we pray for Jeff, and we pray for others going through immigration cases and, and wondering whether or not they're going to be able to stay in their place with their families and with their jobs. Lord, I pray for this immigration case to go through and, um, and for Jeff to get a response soon. But ultimately, Lord, I do pray that Jeff would find his home in you, and I pray that he would find his place with you. Lord, that I thank you that in, him, in you he has a rock which is higher than himself. He has a refuge which is greater. And no matter what happens, Lord, he can have confidence and strength knowing that you are truly in control of his life. And so, Lord, I pray for Jeff that you would give him peace during this time. I pray for his family, Lord, that they would have confidence and trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, truly your will would be done in this immigration case. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Thank so you for calling in. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to uh, Renee in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Renee. Hi, Pastor. Um, I had uh, had a question about the Dead Sea Scrolls, I guess, that there's some e exhibition at the museum in Denver, Okay. Um, and I don't know anything about this. Okay, yeah, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they're, they're a great thing, and I would encourage, if there is something, I didn't know that they were coming to the museum in Denver, but I think that's really great, and I would encourage you, you know, if you have the opportunity, go see them. If not, definitely read up on them. 
because they're a pretty special thing. So when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, I'm trying to remember the exact date when they were found. It was in the 20th century, uh, middle 20th century, when they were discovered. And um, they were discovered in, the, in some caves in, in Israel. And the, ben the real benefit of the Dead Sea Scrolls is what they show us is they, they show us that the Bible that we have today has not changed. We're, we have the same Bible. These are some of the oldest manuscripts that have ever been found, if not the oldest manuscripts that have ever been found. So, okay, here we go. They were discovered in 1946 and 1947, and then some more were found in 1956, and they were found in 11 caves. And they were in, found in the Qumran Caves, which is in southern Israel, uh, near the Dead Sea. And so it's a very dry area, and... Um, as a result, so what happens is that they, they believe that this, these scrolls were hidden in these caves for, for some reason, at, you know, around, I'm trying to find the, uh, when they would have been hidden in there. It looks like they were in the first century. It looks like they were put there. Uh, some, well, no, I'm sorry. Some are dated as, as late as the, as early as the eighth century before Christ. So, um, oh. and then we have some as late as the 11th century. So, I mean, these are very old documents. The weather there near the Dead Sea being so dry had kept them preserved. And actually, the way that they were found was that uh, some boys were throwing rocks. And they were throwing rocks, and they, you know, they could see these openings to these caves um, up on kind of the top of this bluff, or in the middle of this bluff, so quite difficult to get to. And they started throwing rocks, and they heard something crash inside. So basically, these scrolls had been kept in jars made of clay and what they heard was their rocks hitting these jars of clay and breaking them and so they alerted people and they went up there themselves and what they found was they found all of these scrolls which were bible manuscripts that had been stored there in these caves over time and so really the benefit to us is that it shows us that the bible manuscripts have not changed um, particularly these are I mean, almost all of them, if not all of them, I believe all of them actually, are Old Testament manuscripts from the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And this is really important. Like, for example, they found an entire scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so for those people who would come along and say, oh, well, you know, the Bible has changed over time or the Bible's not reliable. Well, there you go. We've got manuscripts from the time of Jesus, if not even before the time of Jesus, which show that, in fact, the Bible has not changed. And I think all in all, they, they found something like eight disparities or differences between the text that they used in that in those scrolls and the text that we use and they weren't even most of them weren't words some of them were spellings of words some of them wow. were uh commas <laughs> yeah and so uh very very good stuff um and one of the things that really buoys our our trust especially in the old testament but um but in the whole of the bible as well especially because we know that the new testament stands on the shoulders of the old testament correct yeah Oh, it sounds like a very fascinating thing to go to. So I, I plan on attending. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, and I really appreciate you calling in and mentioning it because I wasn't even aware that the Dead Sea Scrolls were coming to Denver. So I'll definitely yeah, go down and see them myself. Yeah, I think sometime in March, sometime this month, and through the summer months, I believe. So, yeah. Okay, and which museum is that at? Uh, Nature, Nature and Science. Yeah. Right, Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, I would encourage all of our listeners to go and check out the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
perfect. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for the background. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, um, there's a whole lot more out there too. I'm just kind of shooting I'm from sure. the hip right now. But uh, well, don't spoil the surprise for me. Let me <laughs> go see them and and find out more. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. All right. Thank you thank so you much for calling in. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here with you on the air today, taking your calls and texts. The number to call in is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line three, where we've got Felicia in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Felicia. Welcome to the program. Um, Hi. I was calling, I have um, six kids, and um, from the ages, well, my oldest is 23 and my youngest is seven. And my husband and I just really been trying to um, live the best life we can live for Christ. Um, It's been very difficult. Um, My 19-year-old, she's um, struggling with homosexuality. So I was just calling um, to get prayer. Um, just that my kids just to come to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to pray for you. And uh. it's, it's, it's hard dealing with my 19-year-old. She just moved out. Mm-hmm. The school is saying it's okay, and um, the parents don't understand, and they accepting it and giving her a different avenue, and we just been trying to just, let her know what the scripture says and, you know, not condemning her, but loving her. But it just is, it's a battle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is more and more the case. I mean, as our culture changes and, um, and as, uh, the attitude in our culture changes towards this topic, you know, those of us who hold a biblical view, of sexuality it becomes more and more uh, foreign more and more marginalized and um, and it becomes a difficult culture to raise our children in and uh, I have you know several people who are in my circles and people in my church who are having children right now struggling with this same topic Um, I know of a ministry in Denver that helps um, it's kind of a support group uh, both for people who are coming out of homosexuality or parents of people who are in homosexuality so if you would um, want to give the producer maybe your email address then I could shoot you the uh, email the website for that group because I can't remember it off the top of my head but we had some people involved in our church in the past who were involved with a support group doing that Christian based thing and a really good ministry there Um, but yeah I would love to pray for you and uh, and I'm sure that you're not the only one uh, who's having these kinds of struggles and and has these kind of prayer requests. So thank you for calling in and let me go ahead and pray for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for Felicia. I pray for her, her six children. I pray for her husband. And Lord, I pray especially for this uh, pain in their hearts right now as they see their daughter not walking in your ways. They see her walking in in a different way and being encouraged to do so and just struggling to know what to do and how to, how to bring her back and how to, um, how to bring her to you. Lord, I pray for her, and I, and I also, along with this, I pray for other people who might be listening who are having similar struggles and similar questions. Lord, I pray that truly, um, Lord, you'd fill them 
with not only a sense of love, but a sense of patience and grace towards their children. And Lord, I pray for that you would give them wisdom, give them wisdom with how they can winsomely uh, speak to their children. I pray that the doors of communication would remain open, that they would not lose those opportunities to continue having a relationship with their kids. I pray that their children would be able to discern and you'd, you'd give them wisdom with how to communicate so that their children do discern the difference between loving their kids and disagreeing with their choices. And I pray that their kids would absolutely know that they are loved, that no matter what decisions they make, that they are loved by their parents. But Lord, I pray for these, these Christian parents, Lord. I pray that you would break the bonds of the enemy. I believe that he wants to take people captive and he wants to twist their lives. So Lord, I pray that you would, uh, your word says that what needs to happen is the strong man needs to be bound and then what is his can be taken. And I think that's such a picture of what we desire to see happen, Lord, that you would bind the enemy and you would take the things which he's holding captive and make them your own. So I pray that you do that with these children, with Felicia's child, and with others as well in this situation. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. We're going to yes. break right now. We'll be back in two minutes' time with Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with you on the air today taking your calls and texts. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life. If you have a prayer request that you'd like to be prayed for over the air, we'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So just coming back from the break right now, um, we, uh, we have full open lines. So this is a great time for you to call in if you're hoping to get on the air. And uh, just a, a few things real quick as we're waiting for those lines to fill in. I'd like to take the opportunity to invite you personally to join us at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. So if you're listening and you live in Longmont, Colorado or in the surrounding area, we would love to have you come and visit our church. Uh, again, Whitefields Community Church, we meet at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman in downtown Longmont, and it is on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. And uh, so we'd love to have you join us for worship. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and you can find uh, directions as well as all kinds of other information, listen to past teachings and all that good stuff on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Um, one other thing I wanted to tell you about is that uh, I mentioned that I just got back from this trip where I was in Hungary and Ukraine uh, speaking at a pastor's conference. One other thing that uh, I did right before I got back here to Colorado this weekend was a really cool thing. It was an initiative by Calvary Global Network, which is part of Calvary Chapel, and they um, they did this thing called the Expositors Collective. And so I got to be 
one of the leaders of the very first Expositors Collective, which was held in Thousand Oaks, California this past weekend. But it's something that's open to people from all over the country, and it's not just going to be a, a one-time event. This is going to be an ongoing thing. There's going to be a website, there's going to be podcasts, and so I'd encourage you to check it out, but let me tell you what it is. So the Expositors Collective is an idea about how can we help those who have a desire to grow up and be preachers, basically aspiring young preachers. So there was actually an age limit to this Expositors Collective event, but there's no age limit to the material on the internet, which is going to be posted over the next several months. And um, so this the age limit was 18 to 34, and really be, it, was, it was limited partly because of the venue. Our venue could only seat just over 100. And so we did this, and what, what it was is we had a little bit of teaching. It, was, it wasn't a traditional conference. We had a little bit of teaching, and then we also had some other really cool stuff where we would, uh, all of us who were leaders would get in groups with several uh, men and women. There were women there too because, you know, in our churches we have women uh, teaching uh, in different capacities, women's Bible studies and, and children and all kinds of things like that. So we were uh, having these people basically learn some very important principles about preaching, how to prepare a message, how to um, critique whether or not you are doing a good message, what it means to be an expository preacher. And so it's one of the characteristics or the unique characteristics of Calvary Chapel is expository preaching. So expository preaching means that your preaching is driven by the text of the Bible, not by a topic that you come up with. And so expository preaching is focused on revealing what the text already says. So we were at this um, venue, we did this conference, and it was just a really, really good time. So I would encourage you, if that's something that sounds interesting to you, check out expositorscollective.com. It's expositorscollective.com, just a really cool initiative. And something which, you know, I think about myself as a young pastor and preacher, I would have really benefited from. And I'm really glad that we're able to provide this for the up-and-coming generation. Again, when we have more events with the Expositors Collective, it'll be open to um, to more people. And it will be uh, something that which, uh, if you're interested, you can get involved in because it's open to anyone from across the country. We actually had about five guys there, maybe maybe a little more, maybe five or six guys there at the conference from Colorado. So it was really, really a cool thing. Let's go to our text line. We've got some more questions that have come in. Still have open lines on the call-in line. Again, the number to call if you'd like to call in is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. So one of our texters wrote in and wrote this. I was hoping you could speak to what happens to children that pass away prior to an age in which they can comprehend or believe in Jesus Christ and in his redemptive work. So this is something I just kind of in you know, general terminology, it's referred to as the age of accountability. And here's the thing, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us what the age of accountability is. So it doesn't say that, you know, if a child dies before they are nine years old, then they will go to heaven automatically. It doesn't tell us anything like that, but we can kind of deduce something. So let me kind of give you an example of that. Um, I'll give you two things, first of all. So I'll tell you this from tradition. We know that the Jewish people traditionally, and still to this day, they consider 13 to be the age of adulthood. And at age 13, that's when they they treat their boys as if they become men and their, their girls as if they become women. And so 
some people take that as being, you know, an example or, or maybe indicative of that is the time when God also begins to hold a person accountable. Other people would say, well, no, it's really from any time when, in which they're able to understand the gospel and believe it. And then, you know, that gets into other issues as well. Um, for example, people who have um, learning disabilities or cognitive setbacks in their lives, um, what about them? What if they are, you know, they, they could be as old as 30, 40 years old and still not be able to fully comprehend the gospel? So how does that work? And how does God deal with such people in, in a way that's fair in giving them the opportunity to put their faith in understanding the gospel and put their faith in the gospel? Well, again, like I said, there's not a ton of clarity in the Bible, but there is one story which does give us a lot of help in this matter. And that story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. So I'm going to turn there right now and I'll, I'll tell you kind of the context of what goes on in 2 Samuel chapter 12. What happened there in this section is that David has had an, a, an affair. He's had an inappropriate sexual relationship with a woman and it was it was actually the wife of a friend and someone who worked under him as a as a captain in his army. So what happened is that David had sent the army off to war, and um, it's really kind of a crazy story because here's what here's how it begins. Second Samuel chapter eleven. It says that in the springtime of the year, in the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So that's actually, um, you know, very indicative of the fact that something's wrong here to begin with. Because all the other times we see that the, the other men went out to war, David went with them. But now David sends all his men of fighting age out to fight in a battle, but he remains at home rather than going with him. Truly, David's place as the king, and, and therefore as the commander of the army, would have been to be with his men on the front lines in the battle, just as he had always done in the past. But David, for some reason, remained at home in, in Jerusalem, hanging out in his palace. And think about who else remained in Jerusalem. All the wives of all the men of fighting age, which are, you know, men in their 20s and 30s. And so here's David basically hanging out with all these women who are married. And maybe he's not hanging out with them directly, but he's alone with them in the city. And their husbands are far away, uh, risking their lives for the country. And so we see that that's where the trouble started. David had no place hanging out with all these ladies when their husbands weren't around. And his place was out on the front lines with the army. That's where he rightly should have been. So we see that. And, you know, you got to wonder, was this premeditated in some way? Or maybe it wasn't premeditated that he was going to have an affair. But David at least opened the door to the possibility of it. And maybe even not fully, like, consciously. Maybe it was in the back of his mind, but somehow I think, as, as far as I read this and I'm able to put the pieces of the puzzle together, it would seem to me that David somehow knew that, okay, I'm going to hang out here and I'm not going to look for it, but, you know, if it comes my way, well, you know, then I guess I would be open to it, is, is really what's going on, which is a very sad state that David's in. That's not a good thing. So anyway, it says that one day, it's, this is again in chapter 11, it says David rose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of his house and he saw a woman um, bathing. So he's looking into the windows of the houses. He sees this woman bathing and 
he's interested in her. So it says that he sent and inquired about the woman and, uh, and then she was brought to him. And it says he knew who she was. It says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? That means that's even worse. He knows this woman's father and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That means that David absolutely knew that she was a married woman. He uses his power as king, has her brought to him, which is an abuse of power right there. Uh, it's absolutely wrong. And he sleeps with her. Uh, I mean, in some ways, this could be construed as rape. Because what he's doing is he's abusing his power. He's using his position in order to, to uh, get this woman to sleep with him. And so she sleeps with him, and then she conceives, and she becomes pregnant. Now David realizes this is a problem, and so he ends up sending word to the commander, Joab, and he has this woman's husband, Uriah the Hittite is his name. David demands that he be put on the front lines and not only put on the front lines but he tells the commander of the army he you know demands that he do this that the whole army would fight and then at the last second they would all pull back but they wouldn't tell Uriah that they were going to do it which would leave Uriah just a sitting duck and he's going to get killed and that's exactly what happens Uriah gets killed and, and in a way because this is premeditated in the way that it is this is absolutely should be considered murder so David murders this woman's husband she's pregnant and yet he thinks he's gotten away with it, and he really hasn't, because God reveals to everybody exactly what's going on. Furthermore, uh, this woman, it would have been clear to anybody who could do math that, uh, that this happened. You know, she got pregnant at a time when her husband wasn't around. And I'm sure that word could get around to, as to what happened. So David realizes that that word has gotten out. And, and we know from the Psalms, there's certain Psalms that David wrote during this time where we see that after he was confronted with his sin, he was absolutely broken before God. He was repentant. He repents to God. But then what happens is that this child that uh, is born is sick. It says, so this is chapter 12 now, starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And it says, verse 16, David sought God on behalf of the child. So you can imagine David praying for his child to be healed. Even if this child was conceived in an adulterous relationship, it's still a child. And David still loves this child. And I believe absolutely God loves this child. And so David, it says, David fasted. And he went in and lay all night on the ground. So here we see this father with a sick child. I, I had a daughter who almost died at infancy. And, uh, and I remember doing these exact same things, fasting, praying all night long, asking God to heal your child. And it says the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not get up from the ground and he would not eat food. But it says in verse 18, but on the seventh day, the child died. And it says the servants were afraid to tell David that the child was dead. They were afraid uh, that he would uh, be broken. That he And it says, uh, how can we tell him the child's dead? He might do himself some harm. So we, we see that they're afraid maybe David will even commit suicide or, or harm himself because he'll be so distraught over the loss of his child. But here's what it says. It says, verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is this child dead? And they said, yes, he is dead. And then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he asked, they sent him food, and he ate. 
And his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You, you fasted and you wept for this child when he was alive. But now that the child's dead, you arise and you eat food. In other words, they expected him to do a lot more mourning than he was doing. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? I cannot bring him back again. But here's the key. And really, this is the answer to your question. Very long answer, but here's the answer. I said, uh, He says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And so many people read this and they say, well, what is David saying? Is he saying that his child is with God and David will, be to go, will go to be with God? Other people would say, well, David's just referring to kind of Jewish concept of Sheol, which is the place of the dead, which is neither heaven nor hell. It's just a general term for where dead people go. And, um, and by the way, Jewish people did believe in heaven and hell, um, but they had this word Sheol, which referred to just the dwelling place of the dead within which were uh, heaven or Abraham's bosom and hell. Okay, so the key here is this. David says, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And many people read this, and I will say I myself am included in this. I also read this this way. Um, and here's why I'll tell you this, that you could take this as, okay, well, that's a story. The Bible doesn't say, hey, if a child dies before an age of accountability, then they will go straight to heaven. But much of what the Bible teaches is in the form of story, in the form of narrative. And so I think this is absolutely legitimate that we read this narrative looking for the lesson that God has included in there in the language which he chose to use. And I do believe that there is a doctrinal message here. And the doctrinal message is indeed that if children die, young children, small children, uh, that they are taken to heaven. And that's just a special form of God's mercy. And I will say that that does not mean that they are not... Um, sinners right it doesn't mean see that's the thing we don't become sinners by sinning we're we sin because we're sinners uh, we are born in sin that's what david tells us in the psalms that's what uh, we can infer from reading romans and other books of the new testament so all that to say i believe that uh, that that is the case now i do not know when that age of accountability is the bible doesn't tell us that directly and so we hope and we trust in god's character um, i would say you know, as soon as my children are able to understand the gospel, I want them to. And I want them to choose for themselves to follow Jesus. And I want to instill that in them from a young age. And I also want to pray and trust our faithful covenant-keeping God that he will, um, that he will absolutely uh, be faithful and, and he will be good when it comes to our children. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Sharia from Greeley on line one on our call-in line. Hi, Sharia. Hi, Sharia, are you there? Okay, well, I don't hear you, so I'm going to go on to another text. Uh, if she's still there, hopefully we can get her on in just a minute. So let's go to our text line. Just by the way, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. Let's go to our uh, text line and see what other texts have come in. One question says, what happens to us when we die? Do we enter heaven immediately or do we go into some kind of sleep until Jesus returns? So yeah, that sleep is called, uh, it's referred to as soul sleep. And so um, some people would refer to that as the fact that you, you basically sleep or, until 
the resurrection and the final judgment. So when Jesus returns, it says that people will resurrect uh, some to eternal life, some to eternal death. Uh, and sleeping, this word sleeping was uh, kind of a euphemism that the early church used as referring to people who had died in the faith. And so Paul talks about that. You know, he'll refer to the fact that uh, some of you have fallen asleep. And the reason he said that is because he wanted to differentiate between what it means to die in faith and what it means to die apart from faith. And so um, and so this idea of soul sleep, though, some people have taken that to mean that uh, if you die, you're just kind of held in a kind of, so to say, sleep until you're risen on the last day and then you face judgment. Uh, there is one verse, though, that uh, comes to mind, and that is in I'm trying to remember where it is. First Corinthians, where it says to be absent from the body. Yes, first Corinthians chapter five. Or I'm sorry, second Corinthians chapter five, verses six through eight, where it says this, that uh, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. But to be away from the but we long to be away from the body and to be home with the Lord. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says it, this, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Um, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, You know, I, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, I don't, you know, he says, in a way, he says, well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm, I'm hard pressed between two. I'm torn is what we would say in our language. You know, I'm torn as, as to whether I would rather die and be with Christ or whether I would uh, rather live and, and go on living for the glory of Christ and for his mission here and now. And so what he says in Philippians 1.23 is he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And so it would seem from all these to me that in the moment that you die, that there is a uh, a place that you are taken. You, your soul goes to be with God or goes to not be with God. And yet the final resurrection will take place in which there will be a sorting. And so so what it, it does seem like is that there there is a, a way in which hell itself, and if you read in Revelation, people who go to Hades or hell now, it says that, hell will be cast into a lake of fire. So even what we have now as hell is a sort of, I guess you would say, temporary thing, and that the finality of hell will only really be experienced after uh, the return of Jesus and the, the sorting of the sheep and the goats and the, and the hell, and hell and Hades being cast into the lake of fire. In the, mean, in the same way, I believe that heaven is indeed heaven. It is to be present with the Lord, but there, that at the return of Jesus, there will be a full, a fulfillment, a, a fullness of heaven where we experience that wedding feast of the Lamb in its fullness. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go ahead and go to line one where we've got John in Denver, Colorado. Hi, John. Yeah, hi, Nick. How are you doing? Doing well. What's going on? Great. Um, I'm responding to uh, Lady... Who are I can't remember his lawyer man that called in earlier asking about um, some resources for um, people getting out of homosexuality. Sure. Um, there's uh, several if if it if they're looking for something for a man, several of the Calvary chapels in the area, which includes Calvary, Calvary Aurora, has what they call Pure Life Ministries, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't isn't specific. To um, 
criminal sexuality, but any uh, sexual sins. Um, it's a short program, about three mo- three to four months. I think it might be four months or three months. Uh, but there's also other programs out there. There's one called Living Waters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure which church they're meeting in at these days. So, um, but if somebody goes goes ahead and um, looks up on the internet. Um, they've helped both uh, male and females. And then there's a or a church um, off of Eighth. In Eighth Avenue North in Colorado Boulevard, which has a 12-step program um, that is uh, specific to homosexuality. Okay. So um, those are several several resources that the uh, 12-step program meets on Thursday nights, I believe. At uh, I don't know if it's six or seven p.m., but uh, that's something also they can look online for. Um, where if they go for look on you know sex, uh, SAA or SA groups, you know, sex sexholic anonymous or I, I can't remember what the SAA sexholic anonymous wherever um, the SAA just means that it's uh, it is um, cross you know it, it means that it's both um, male and female um, who meet in the group. So um, those are uh, three different resources. Um, so if Great. the person is listening, is still on uh, listening, I just want to get that out there for them. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for those resources. The one that I was thinking of was Living Waters. And, um, yeah, Living Waters, they had, and they also there's another one called Where Grace Abounds. That was the, the, the other one that was um, affiliated with our church for, well, we we had a group in Longmont that was started out of our church um, a few years ago. That's since shut down, but I do know that uh, Where Grace Abounds still has a group that meets in Denver, and so people from up in this area were driving down there. So Where Grace Abounds, you mentioned Living Waters, and what was the one you mentioned about Calvary Aurora having? Uh, Calvary Aurora has what they call Pure Life, and it's strictly for um, men. Mm-hmm. And it, it covers all sexual um, behavior, okay. um, not just uh, you know that, um, but you know pornography, um, that kind of stuff also. So it's that's what Calvary Aurora has is pure life. Ministry. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So pure life. Yeah, we had a, a caller earlier, a texter really earlier, who was asking about pornography addiction. So I hope that if they're listening, they would uh, also hear that too. Pure life at Calvary Aurora being a great resource for accountability and for fellowship. So awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for calling in with those resources. You're welcome. Thanks. All right. Man. God bless you. All right. All right bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. We're coming up on the end of our show. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am with you today taking your calls and texts on the air. We are coming up on the end of the show, but if anyone gets in before the end of the show, we might take one more call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line for just a few quick texts. Uh, where We've got three minutes left. So uh, we have one texter who writes in asking, 
What does the Bible say about people who die? Are they watching us? Are they guiding us? I heard a pastor say this literally just the other day, and I don't believe it's biblical. I thought the Bible said that if they loved, then they love no more, etc. So the question is, are people who have passed away, are they watching us or are they guiding us? I, I will give you one example from the Bible which would lend itself to the idea that people who have passed away are indeed able to watch us. As far as guiding us, I don't believe that they are. So uh, the, the example I give you is actually from the book of Revelation. Because really what we have in Revelation is that John experiences this event where he is caught up to heaven. And then from heaven, he's with a multitude of people. And they are all together watching what is happening down on the earth. And so that lends itself to this idea that, um, that people who are in heaven can see what is happening on earth. Now, the difficulty with that, of course, is that Revelation is a book of allegory. But it's not all allegory. So it is a, an apocalyptic genre, which means that there's allegory involved. But some of it is also meant to be taken literally. And really, that is the difficulty with interpreting Revelation. So the question is, is that when it says that you know these people, this mass is in heaven, and they're watching the things happening on earth, um, is that literal? Is that figurative? I personally actually think that is literal. I think that people uh, who have gone before are... Um, are able to see us. I'll give you another example is in Hebrews chapter 12. It says that since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, I don't have time to go into all the context of that, but what it would seem like is he's referring to all of the heroes of the faith who he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, people like Abraham, Moses, Joseph, etc. And then what he does in chapter 12 is he draws a picture of an Olympic stadium. He says, we're running the race and we're surrounded by this great crowd on all sides. And he says, you know, we're, we're doing this. And what he's actually describing is an Olympic scene in which in the stadium, in the stands, are all these saints who have gone before us in the faith. And so, yes, it would seem to me that they are indeed watching us, cheering us on, thronging for us, wanting us to succeed. But I do not believe that they are able to lead us or guide us. Another resource for you would be Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, where we read about how there's a how those on earth are not able to communicate with those. I'm sorry, those in uh, in Sheol are not able to communicate with those on earth. We have come to the end of our show. Thank you for tuning in today, and God bless you. This has been Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. I'll be with you again a few times more this week. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.